find someone to sit next to. Perhaps it's the person you were just sitting next to, or perhaps it's someone new. We can always play musical chairs here. It's a fun game. But we would need to remove a lot of chairs. It's a little cold this morning, huh? A little cold. But we got the heat working again. So praise for that. Yeah, the heat was always working in here. Um, or was it just me? No, I think the heat was always working in here. Okay, um, so we're going to be talking here in a moment uh, uh, about the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and I'm going I'm to start by reading the passage, but let me pray for us as we get underway. I need it this morning, so um, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we have this opportunity to come to you. We have this opportunity to come and share together. And Lord, we don't take that opportunity for granted. We know that there are people who have taken ownership of this space. Uh, some folks who have taken ownership of this space by simply being prayer warriors for our church. Others who take ownership by coming into the building to clean. Others who uh, take ownership by coming in to fix little things here and there. And Lord, uh, a majority of folks who, who give to this church. And so we don't take this space for granted. We don't take the heat for granted on a cold day like today. And Lord, we pray for those who don't have heat today. We pray for all of those uh, in the city, in Orland Park, in the surrounding suburbs, in the larger metropolitan Chicagoland area, who on a bitter cold day like today have not enough. And so they find themselves quite cold. Lord, we, we pray for those without homes. We pray for those with homes who simply can't afford to keep those homes warm. We ask your blessing on those. We, lo we know, Lord, that you are with those in the situations. And so we pray for them. We pray for this congregation. Lord, we lift up our prayer requests to you now. There are, there are many of them. There are many of us who, who have heavy things on our hearts, members of the congregation who have intimate family, who are struggling with profound illness, struggling with hospitalizations, just coming home from the hospital, Lord, on a road to recovery. Lord, for those with chronic illness, for those with children who have illness, for those who feel a little ill themselves, we, we pray for all of them. We know that you are, in fact, there with them in that, that they are in your care. Lord, we pray for our greater country, which is a little sick right now, which carries this. And Lord, we pray for warriors who have come to face and fight against that sickness. For the good Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who we celebrate this weekend, who even though he was quite young, many of us do not think of him that way, because of the maturity of faith and eloquence with which he showed and exposed one of the great sicknesses of our country, many great sicknesses of our country. And so we, we lift up to you his memory. May we be people who are deserving to be called Christians as he was a Christian. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be Pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
So this passage is from the Sermon on the Mount. You know the Sermon on the Mount, if you were uh, previously from Fellowship Bible Church, as the sermon series that Phil did that lasted forever. Um, <laughs> just kidding. That was the Psalms for 50 weeks. When I found out that you guys heard Phil talk about the Psalms for 50 weeks, I was like, that was really fun. I wish I was there. No. <laughs> No, I'm sure it was great. I'm sure it was great. But the Mount, right, is this thing. It deserves a lot of attention. It deserves a lot of attention. And Phil talked about it last week uh, because it's probably, if you're going to take one kind of passage of Scripture, just one. You only get one, right? Just one, one. The Sermon on the Mount might be that passage. If you, if you had to pick one, right? I think about it on Facebook and always... You always get like, you know, one of these got to go. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like ribs and fried chicken, like kale. And, and I'm, over, I'm over here like, well, I only eat one of these three, so <laughs> it's not going to be the kale that's going. Um, but, you know, but like if, if, if everything had to go out of Scripture and you were left with, you know, hey, one, one passage, I think the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount might be the most succinct, most uh, uh, kind of grassroots Jesus getting down to business. Hey, this is the meat and potatoes of what Jesus came to talk about. And so it's not surprising that in a, in a topic about stewardship, when we talk about how we live, how we give, that we would go to the Sermon on the Mount not once but twice in three weeks. And so I want to I uh, read for you the passage first. Like I said, this comes from Matthew chapter 6. I'm only going to read a small part of what I'm kind of, I'm, I'm only going to exegete this part for you this morning, but this is a greater narrative. I actually think that the entirety of uh, the Sermon on the Mount is really, you, you, it's hard to read just one part of it. So I'm going to read this part for you, um, but I'm doing it under the uh, express direction that you go home and you read the rest of it from the beginning. Okay, so I, I can read the whole thing if you can't commit to that, but can you commit to reading the whole Sermon on the Mount on your own time at some point this week? Okay, great. So it's chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, okay? So we're good with that. A couple thing then. Um, those of you who didn't respond, I did hear you and I'll be following up later. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's start in verse 19 here. Okay. Reading from the NRSV. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where three thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For uh, either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. That's our passage for this morning. And so just, if you want to summarize, I know sometimes it's hard to just hear the scriptures and take, it's kind of three sections, okay? The first one says, don't store up treasures on earth because on earth, that whatever storehouses are, they're susceptible to uh, 
breaking in through consumption, right? So moth or rust can consume your treasures or somebody can steal it, okay? So it's great investment advice, okay? Secure investments. Okay, number two, the eye is the lamp of the body um, or the entry point, I'm gonna use that. The eye is the entry point of the body. Wherever, whatever goes in, it affects the whole body. Great life, event, great life advice, but seemingly unconnected to the section on where you store up treasures. Seemingly unconnected. Don't worry, I'll connect them. And then finally, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other. You can't serve God and money. Kind of related back to the first. Almost as if, and this happens in the epistles more, um, but it's almost as if who was, whoever was writing this down at some point, they were like, oh yeah, and then there was that time that Jesus was like, okay, the uh, store up treasures on earth, and then he said something else, but I can't remember. And then he also talked about the eye of the lamp of the body. Oh, right, he talked about the fact that uh, you can't serve God. Am I? Like, it's almost as if it was like accidentally inserted. That like, if you read it straight down, it would have been better without the whole eye stuff. But actually, I don't think that that's what happened at all. I think that this was completely intentionally structured in this way. That, that actually, when Jesus is preaching in this way, it's us because of our context. We separate our financial selves from the rest of ourselves. We like to do this in, in Westernization, right? In Western thought, we like to compartmentalize. This is a plug, actually, for, uh, for the, the youth group event coming up, One Life, for the high school youth retreat. One Life, the, the reason that they call it One Life is because it identifies that the natural inclination of Western thought, even among high school youth, is to compartmentalize your life into, okay, this is my life at school, and this is my life at home, and this is my life at church, and this is my life on my sports team, and this is my life in my other extracurricular activity, and this is my life when I go to camp, and this is my, you see what I'm saying? And, and when we do that, when we compartmentalize, okay, this is my financial life, and this is my church life, and this is my home life, and this is my spouse, and this is how I am with my extended family, although maybe that's a good one, because sometimes your extended family doesn't need to know how you are in the rest of your life. I mean, that's just good advice. But anyway, when you compartmentalize that out, you, you cease to live one life, you live many lives. And so the entire point of this retreat coming up in, in, in February is to uh, kind of encourage our students and the volunteers who are going along, PSA, I'm going to be gone. Three of the next four didn't run away, but I'm doing things for the church, except for the one that's my vacation, but that's also for the church, if you know what I mean. Okay, um, y'all... <laughs> Y'all need to let me take a breather. <sighs> Otherwise, I get boring. Okay, so if we start breaking up our lives, if we fail to compart, if we start to compartmentalize our lives, we're no longer living one life, which is the life for God. We can't do that. And so I think that this is the problem. In Western Christianity, we, we actually uh, do this. Right? We're not encouraged to have one life. We're encouraged to have many lives, Right? All you, I know when, you, when you're watching the game, you say some things that you wouldn't say here in this building. Okay, especially if you're a Lakers fan. Burn, burn. Everybody else who works here is a Lakers fan. Why? We're not in LA. It makes no sense. Okay. Um, but right, but you say some things. Oh, in the, in the foul and filth and can LeBron just filth and hit in the filth and foul and shot, right? But you wouldn't say that here because you live multiple lives. You live multiple lives. 
but actually we're called to live one life, one life. And so the, the people in the ancient world, Jesus' audience, they would have understood this. So when Jesus is talking about finances, and then Jesus is talking about how we view the world, and then Jesus is again finances, it would make perfect sense to his first century audience. They would go, oh yes, this is all about how we live. How we live with our finances, how we live with our uh, with the, how we live with the way in which we co- communicate with the outside world, how we live with our finances again. These are all connected pieces. And here's the lie of Western Christianity. Even if you seek to compartmentalize those things, they are not compartmentalized. In You can't do it. You'll fail inevitably. Eventually, your extended family will hear what you think about so-and-so political leader. It will come out eventually. It will come out eventually because when you hold it in here, you can't put up that facade forever. Maybe you can put it up on Thanksgiving, but if you truly live in community with those people, you can't hold it inside forever. Out there affects your life in here. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. And so, I think that the entire point of this, last week we talked about stewardship as ownership. Or sorry, two weeks ago we talked about stewardship as ownership. Last week we talked about um, our lives as stewardship. But this week I want to talk about this kind of intrinsically, you all, uh, you all know this in your secular lives. I'm actually going to argue that sometimes we don't live this way in our spiritual lives. And it's this is this, I believe, is the entire point of the Sermon on the Mount. And then you can ask Phil, who's clearly done way more research on the Sermon on the Mount, if I'm right. Um, I think that the entire point of the Sermon on the Mount is singular. Jesus is trying to tell us that what we do matters. What we do matters. Now, I think that all of you can identify that, like I said, in your personal uh, secular or outside church lives, un- your, your, even though they are your spiritual lives, um, you can all identify this, right? If you drive 150 miles an hour on the highway, what you do matters to the tune of a very large speeding ticket and probably a felony conviction. You know this intrinsically. If you decide to uh, do anything, it's going to have consequences. But here's the thing. In Christianity, this is actually not a decided thing. This is actually, denominationally or theologically, you can go to different denominations, and I would argue that there are many denominations where functionally what you do doesn't matter. A lot of theological thought, schools of thought where what you do functionally doesn't matter. And I think that's really sad because I think that they then you have to look at the Sermon on the Mount and you've got to go, well, I'm just, I, I guess Jesus is like, this is best practices, but it doesn't really matter. And so in, in order to do this, it's similar to how I talked about women in ministry. If you've ever not listened to uh, the Sermon on Women in Ministry when I kind of gave the case for women in ministry, it was a little while back um, before this whole thing happened, I would encourage you to listen to that because I'm going to do kind of what I'm there, which is the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to kind of explain why this specific, this specific theological thought, why some folks would say that what you do doesn't matter. And it goes something like this, okay? 
Our entire existence on earth is functionally a heaven test, okay? Our entire existence on earth is functionally a heaven test. To pass the test at some point in your life, you have to asking Jesus into your heart. If you fail to do this for whatever reason, you fail to pass the test. You do not pass the test. And once you've done this, the rest of your life is basically just trying to get other people to pass the heaven test and waiting to die to go to heaven. But here's the thing. Your success or failure in whether you can get other people to pass the heaven test is functionally irrelevant. All that matters is that you can pass the heaven test for your eternity. And that might seem like, oh, John, who would ever believe that? Obviously, Jesus tells us to do stuff all the time that we're expected to do. Obviously, Jesus tells us, obviously, the early church lived in such a way that they were doing things that if they didn't have to do those things would be really dumb to do because ultimately they got killed for doing them, right? Like, we can all kind of assert, well, that's not true. But ultimately, this is one of the great lies and a majority of Christians on earth a majority believe this. Believe this little lie. That what you do on earth, save one thing, really doesn't matter. But the entire Sermon on the Mount seems to cut against that. And there's variations on this, right? Some theological schools would say, well, actually, it's God who elects you. And so really, there's nothing you can do to ruin your election. God, God's the one who, who picks you. It's really not, it's, it's actually not even about passing the little test. God actually just decides who gets in and who doesn't get in before you're even born at the beginning of time. And other schools of thought would say, well, no, you can lose your passing grade at some point. If you do like really bad stuff, right? Like you can like get the passing grade and then at some point you kill somebody and then they're like, oh, you failed the test right? And then, then the, the Catholics have this thing where they're like, well, actually, there's like detention. It's just like a pass-fail. It's like you can pass, but then also purgatory. So like you can pass, but sometimes you have to like wait a while, <laughs> be in like hell detention, right? But ultimately, all of them say the same thing, which is that what you do functionally doesn't really matter because the end result is only about one thing, the get-out-of-jail-free card. But I think Jesus actually refutes that. No, 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 this, that's Gnostic, that's dualistic, that's body and spirit separated. That, that's actually not Christianity. Christianity is not waiting for your eternity to begin after you die and passing the heaven test. Christianity is living as if your eternity began in a stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. I'm gonna say that again. Christianity is not waiting to die and hence you're passing the heaven test and that's when you begin to live, when you escape the world that you were enslaved to. No, Christianity is actually entering in and going, all of this is not a test. This is eternity. We're living it and we began to live it in a stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years years ago. That is a profound difference because it completely and utterly changes how we view the world. And so I'm going to do an illustration because I do have time, Steve. And I need, can I use you? I'm going to use Marilyn and I'm going to use Phil and I'm going to use Steve and Chris. 
So I need all, all of you guys to come up here. Um, I have a, a somewhat impossible title to do. Is that okay? Okay, great. Okay, so I need you to all start over here. Um, Chris, you're nice and strong. You start first. Um, so you're going to stick your foot up to the wall. You're going to take two steps back, okay? And then you're going to lean forward and put your head on the wall. And then I'm going to have you lift something for me, okay? So two steps. One, two. Now, okay, now put your feet together. Okay, put your head on the wall. Lean forward. Yep. Okay, go ahead and lift this chest. Grab it by the bottom. Lift it up to your chest. Stand up. Stand up. Come on, Chris, stand up. No, nope. okay, okay, Steve, you give it a try. You give it a try, come on. Jump in here, Steve. Let's see if you can do it. Steve is like one of the strongest people in our congregation. If you ever <laughs> know that Steve is like really like, like carrier refrigerator strong. So, Steve, go ahead and try it. Did I do it? Nope, you're not standing up. You're failing. Okay. Well, Phil loves Jesus the most. So, <laughs> if it's a spiritual test, Phil should, should have this, right? Yeah, okay, okay. Lift it up. No, no, no. You got to lift it first. Now stand up. Nothing? Okay, Marilyn, I'll give you a try. It's not really working for these folks, okay? Can you give it a shot, Marilyn? One, two, okay. Lean forward. Yeah, sorry. Okay. If you can, you might have to take one step. You might, your, your legs might not be quite long. Yeah, I'm going to put your head, I'm going to hold your head, okay? Okay, lift it up, lift the chair up. Stand up. I cheated! You didn't cheat. <laughs> she didn't cheat. Why was Marilyn able to do that and none of my big strong men were able to do that? Anyway, not because she's the shortest. Because a woman. He's like, what? what do you mean she's a woman? I mean, she's a, Marilyn's center of gravity is different than my big hulking strong guys that I brought up here. Marilyn's center of gravity is in her hips. For all biological women, it's in your hips. And for men, your center of gravity is in your chest. And so when you lean out over your toes as a man, your center of gravity gets outside of your body and you can't lift no matter how strong you are. But Marilyn, who said, I cheated, she didn't cheat. For Marilyn, it was Easy for her to do that. Easy for her to do that. Because her center of gravity was functionally and foundationally different. Her entire center of gravity was different. And so this is what I think the point of why this matters, whether we are dualistic in our thinking or live as though the kingdom, if our center of gravity is founded in the fact that the entire world around us has already begun to be the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, our center of gravity will remain underneath us. It will remain here, and we will be able to functionally do whatever we need to do and it will change the way in which we view the world. But if we get ahead of ourselves, if gravity gets out in front of our toes, we will be able to do nothing. Nothing. There's no strength that any of these guys could have had. Chris was a collegiate athlete. Steve was a collegiate athlete. Phil really prays a lot. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter because their center of gravity got outside of their body, it got outside of their, they were ahead of themselves, and it didn't matter. 
if we fail to understand this basic premise that what we do matters, everything else will not work. We'll get ahead of ourselves. And so I want to exegete this passage to get you to this point backwards. So I want to start with the first one, which is the last one, serve two masters. Remember, this is the first part of the sermon, of the, uh, or this is the, e- the end, this is the last part, this is the conclusion. You can't be self-serving and other-serving. You can't fully serve yourself and fully serve others because when, when we talk about serving treasure, right, serving money, what's that really? It's just serving yourself. You can't, because really money is just about yourself. What can I have? What can I accumulate? What can I have? And when I say you can't serve God is the same as serving others, that's because over and over Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, or love your neighbor, love God. It was just the two most important commandments, love God. And by the way, this one's not even second most important. It's co-most important. Because if you don't love God, if you don't love your neighbor, you can't love God. So when we say we love serving others, others serving, same as being God serving. Serving others and serving God are the same side of the same coin. They're not even different sides of the same coin, according to Jesus. And so uh, scripture, uh, what Jesus is saying here, what the author is saying Jesus is, is kind of summarizing here is, hey, look, you can't be self-serving and other-serving fully. There's another way to go about it because God also doesn't want us to dualistically hate ourselves either. Jesus doesn't say you'll love one and hate the other Obviously, we know when he says that, he's not saying you should hate God and love money. But you know what also he's not saying? To love God and hate money. He's saying, if you hate yourself, you can't love God either. You see, when you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, you're not supposed to love yourself. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. As soon as you start this self-deprecating, oh, I'm so bad and I'm terrible, you lose your ability to love others too. So God says, no, 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 no. I want you to love yourself, but I don't want you to love yourself more than you love others and more than you love me. I want you to love yourself because you love others and because you love me. Because you are are a a human being created in the image of God to be loved by others and yourself. So Jesus says, no, 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 it's not just about uh, loving one and hating. You should, lo- you should love both and hate neither. But you do that differently, you see. You do that differently. You prioritize your, the other. And the natural implication is that you yourself are served. That's why when you serve somebody and you feel good about it, that's serving you. Like we talked about, when you give your kids a gift at Christmas, you say, giving is better than receiving. That's because giving is a, is a way of receiving. You receive joy back. You receive wholeness back. You serve others, and, and the response of the other to you is, is, is serving you. But if we constantly focus on serving us, we never realize that that fact, that reality, that we're all connected in that way. So, so Jesus says, okay, so that's the first that's the last piece. That's so we go back one, okay, lamp is the, is, the, uh, is the place of the body. See, I, I think that this comes down to one 
really think. What happens on the outside affects the inside. Can I get a mm? Mm. Mm. What happens on the outside, you can't be like completely free of the world. That's the great, when Paul says be free of the world, he's like, but you won't be. And sure, we could make this a, a, a we could make this passage the lamp of the body. We could make it a, a passage about not consuming things that, that are, are negative. Hey, don't, don't just constantly be, be viewing violence and expect it to not affect you or don't, don't you know, have this really warped view of sexuality and expect it not to affect you. That, that's, a, that's a great word. I'm not saying it's not a great word. It is a great word. But I think that it's just more foundational than that. What outside of your body in the world affects you? It affects your inside. When you get out over ahead of yourself because of something that you believe out there, it affects the inside. That's kind of like a, mm, right? Ugh. I don't know if I like that. thought I could be like just pure here and then just unadulterated by the world. Yes, that's the goal, but Jesus, no, 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 no. You're, you're <laughs> what you see, it's an entry point. There's a permeable barrier here between your physical and your spiritual self because they're not different. They're the same. You don't get to have two parts to you. You have one part. It's called you. Your physical body was created in the image of God. God loves it. Your body's a temple. You all that. Your spiritual body was created in the image of God, right? That's why God came in human flesh because they're not different. Same. So you got this. Ooh, I don't know if I like that. But what happens out there affects what happens in here. And so if you can't serve two masters, right, if you can't be 100% self-serving and 100% other-serving, and what happens out there affects what happens in here, then we get to the last piece here, which is store up treasures in a place where moth can't come, where rust can't come, where thieves can't come. In other words, invest in heaven today. Don't invest in heaven for later. Invest in the heaven that's right next to you right now. Invest in the heaven that began in a stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Invest in your life now. Because, and now we can run it back, right? We can run it back in the, in the direction that Jesus put it. Invest in heaven today. Why? Because the world around you is you. So invest in making the world a better place because the world, if it's, if it's a bad place, is going to affect you. So invest in making your world a better place. Why? Because you can't serve two masters. You see, it's a natural progression that goes down the line. And, and, and what, affects the out, what affects us outside affects us on the inside. And this is where I want to get to today, and Chris, you can come up. This is the summary here. Okay? Because we're supposed to be talking about stewardship. <laughs> You're like, oh, we we're talking about something here, but it certainly wasn't stewardship, was it, John? No, it is. It is. Because, like I said, as soon as you get outside of your body, as soon as you get outside of your center, as soon as your center of gravity is off kilter, you fail to be able to do anything else. You fail to be able to do anything else. And so, 
as we consider all of these things, and it's a lot, okay? Your brain might be like, this is a little much. It's a lot lot to cope with right now, John. Yes, I understand that. But if you take nothing else away, understand that you have to begin to center where you're at, not ahead of where you want to be. Otherwise, you're going to fall. Certainly won't be able to lift any chairs. Just ask Steve. He's been trying for 24 hours. <laughs> Told me he was going to do this yesterday. I had no idea he was going to work on it. But seriously, once you're out ahead of yourself and not living where you are, living where God put you, living for justice now, living for the righteousness of all things, the consigler of all things, li- as soon as you get out in front of yourself and just go, oh, well, I'm just going to wait until heaven, that's when it'll be good you will cease to be useful to God. Cease to be useful to God. You won't even be able to lift a chair. And so as we celebrate the life this weekend of a profound Christian leader, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, we have to understand that what made him so profound was that he did not get up in a pulpit and preach the sweet by and by. That someday, no, he preached that today we need to work for the kingdom of God. Today. Which is why in his last sermon, he did not say, my eyes will see the glory of the coming of the Lord. He said, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That it's happening now. But we can't do that unless we are going to take serious, serious at ourselves. Because what we do matters. He fought for a truth that was not accepted at that time. And perhaps is not fully accepted today. That the black lives were precious to God. That they mattered to God. And that world they didn't. And so it's the same fight that we fight today, but we fight it with everything. We don't fight it with our prayers and with our thoughts. We fight it with our resources. We fight it with how we communicate with others in our lives. We fight it with how we give to this place. Because, and this is where I want to land, right here. Because when you give hope, you don't give only because you've been changed. You don't give through your change, which we talk about a lot. Give because you've been made free of the world. You give to change the world. There's a woman that we gave to, and I don't want to get into it because I don't want to like put her business out in the world, but there's a woman that we gave to a little while back none of you knew about. Through our benevolence, it was... It, it was she was in a, a domestic situation, she ever, lost everything, lost it all. She had nowhere to stay. And we did something. It was before we had bed, so we had nowhere for her to go. But we, we did something. We got her a couple nights at a campground. We got her a tent through Love, Inc. Today, she's back on her feet. We just found out. We, we hadn't heard from her in a while, but then all of a sudden, she popped up in the news <laughs> for a wonderful reason. And we realized that it was because people give, because this place can exist, because we can be here, because you pay our salary so that we can continue to work with people for free. Like, you all 
did it. You gave to change the world. And we have events coming up that are world-changing events. We have an interfaith dialogue on peace in, in Israel. That's a, that, that we, we hope that that's a world-changing type event. We, at least it's, it's going to change our world. We have an event coming up where we're going to talk about uh, systemic um, oppression and mass incarceration and, and this, this horrible thing that happens where for some reason uh, we, we convict people and we sentence them to death and, and they're not actually guilty. And we're going to talk about that in the life of Brian Stevenson, another Christian leader, like that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who because of his faith changed the world. So, so remember that as you go in, as you give every week or you go online and you sign up, stewardship looks like ownership. Yes, it's your building, it's your place, it's your church, it's your thing. And you give because you've been changed and you give because this place means something to you. But you don't just give because you've been changed, you give to change something, to change the world around you. People a place to sleep at night when there's nowhere else in Orland to do it. You give because you want to see the world change because you know what happens out there, it affects what happens in here. And we're not going to serve two masters here. We're going to realize that serving one master serves all of us. So let's pray this morning that we can do that. Lord, we thank you as we come to the table that you have given us a place where we can not only give because we are changed, where we can not only come to change, where we can not only come to encounter your spirit, but where we can come to change the world around us. Lord, you said over and over the kingdom of God is here. It's near. You said over and over that the kingdom of heaven was here, that it was near. Lord, you taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount that your kingdom would come and your will would be done where on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, because what we do matters, we ask for you to, to encourage us, to embolden us, to equip us, to give us what we need to be able to give to this place to change the world. Because as soon as we start getting ahead of ourselves, thinking that it's all about saving souls, a heaven test, Lord, we fail to remember that you came not only to die, but to teach us before that. To be the reconciler of all things. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you for what you've done. Now, Lord, we come to the table to one more way experience what you're still doing here with the church. Amen.